There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 562. Doctor Who Series 8. Premiere is a Saturday. I'm Oh, I should probably do the, the voice. Doctor Who Series 8 premiere is Saturday, August 23rd on BBC America. Uh, it's at 8 p.m. and then at 11 p.m. live, we're going to do the After Who show. And uh, we have a lot of exciting guests that are relevant to your interests. And we're going to talk about the uh, Series 8 premiere where Capaldi uh, comes in and crushes it as uh, the Doctor. And uh, it's super fun. Super fun. Watch. We'll be there. We'll take your questions. Um... I this I'm not gonna <laughs> okay. This is probably the last after show I'm gonna do, so let's all be okay with that. I think you're probably fine with it. You know what? You don't think about it most of the time. That's just me. That's just me saying that because I'm being a narcissistic comedian. Uh, this episode is my British pal Adam Buxton, who is uh, he's as I said a British comedian fellow who uh, was on a show called The Adam and Joe Show on BBC. Um, he was in Hot Fuzz. He's been on a ton of panel shows. His Twitter is at Adam Buxton with an X. But he's a damn hell of a nice guy. And uh, we enjoyed nerding out with him because he actually listens to the podcast. It's really great when people come on who know the podcast. It's just like instant shorthand. Uh, So we enjoy him. He will soon be your friend as well. Adam Buxton, episode number 562, Nerdist Podcast. Start the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. Doing Ray? Hey, you're wearing your Oneters button. I am. I am. No, it's Wonders. Yeah, wonders. No, it's Oneters. No, it's Oneters. Adam Buxton, welcome to the podcast. I assume Kitty's already recording. That's how oh, this shit, shit goes. We're yeah, I know. This is how that works. Hey, man, we don't have time. We don't have fucking time in America. That's quite right. I don't know what you guys are doing over there, but you we don't, don't have, have time. time. Shut up, John. I have time for that. <laughs> you're do, you do like a show every night of the week, and you have done since January. Is that right? Yeah, well, yeah, four nights a week. So, are you? Be honest with me. Are you? Mm-hmm. Are you having a breakdown? <laughs> you guys aren't here, right? You're all just extensions of my breakdown. Right? <laughs> I'm sitting in an empty room right now, which is really a padded yeah. room. I'm your liver. <laughs> Haven't recovered yet, Chris. I'm sorry about 2003 and before. <laughs> so am I. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I feel like every six weeks I kind of have a, I don't know a where dip. I am, but then, but a little then crying okay. fit. Is it like broadcast news? <laughs> <laughs> you sit, on, you sit right. on the bed. Oh no, not broadcast news. I was thinking of uh, what's the network? I was thinking of network. network. Yes, yeah, that kind of meltdown. That kind of meltdown. No, I'm thinking of Holly Hunter sitting on the bed and. 
and just uh, weeping. <laughs> oh, just weeping openly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I also tuck my jacket down. I actually do do that. When I'm sitting down on a show, yeah, 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 you tuck the jacket. That's down. That's a top tip, isn't it? But you don't suffer from flop sweat, presumably. Like, no. Uh, what's his name did on that? What was his, what's the name of the actor? William Hurt. William Hurt. Yes, was exactly. William Hurt. Nice. Oh no, no, no. But it was. But it, William Hurt is the smooth anchor on that uh, film. But the guy who gets the flop sweat is it's not. It's not Albert Brooks, is it? There you go. Yes, it is Albert Brooks. Yeah. Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> um. What are you doing in America? Oh, welcome uh, to our country. Thanks very much. I came here for this. No, gonna, you did I'm not. Gonna get you did back. not endure that flight for this. Oh, tell me about enduring the flight, mate. That is a <laughs> nightmare of a flight. I was thinking to myself, I would not be good if a real crisis happened in the world, or indeed in my life, because I barely made it through that 12-hour flight. And this is a 12-hour flight that really went without incident. It was on time. Uh, no one died. No one got arrested. But I was traumatized by it. It was just, I couldn't deal with it. And um, it, it was full for a start. And it's so sort of dark and, and grim in there. And uh, the smell in the, t- in the restroom. After 12 hours. Just yeah. became, pr- it, was, it was something weird happened in there. <laughs> After a while, like in the last three hours, I went in there to brush my teeth in the morning bit. When you sort of think, oh, we, we're in the last section. I'll brush my teeth and that'll yeah. make me You don't want to open your mouth in there. No. Because that's where it gets in. <laughs> I went in there and there was, there was fluid pooling around on the base of this thing. And it smelt as if someone had gutted an old fish in there. <laughs> it was, it was unholy, the smell in there. And then I was faced with the problem of, like, what do I do now? I, I don't want to go out and then have the next person think that, that it was I'm you. responsible yeah. for this unholy gutted fish smell. And I talked to Todd Barry about this, actually. <laughs> I don't know why I thought he would be the person to ask. But I said, what, what would you do in this situation? And he said, well, uh, I was going to do my Todd Barry impression there. But then, <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, man. Hey man. hey, man. I suppose I would. Uh, that's more like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> 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 um, he said, well, you just sort of go out and say, uh, it's pretty rough in there. Right. Yes. Um, and as if you're sort of saying, well, it's nothing to do with me. But right. Good luck kind of thing. But right. this, was, this was beyond that. So I thought the only option available to me was to clean it up. No. no, 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 no. I think you go the opposite direction. Really? You, you kick the door open into oh. the line of people. You go, see, don't fuck with me. <laughs> and then, and then no, not only. <laughs> so this flight is like prison to you. You should have done that in the beginning of the flight. Just lay it out there. You tried to clean up? Yeah, yeah, I got the, I got the um, soap dispenser that dispenses that worthless kind of foam. The foam, yeah. And I, I put as much of the worthless foam on the floor as I could, and then I just covered, I made a carpet of paper towels, and then I made sort of paper towel gloves for my hands in order to deal with the... <laughs> your flight should have been free. You know you're working for the airline at this point. I tell you, honestly, it was, it was awful. You're too nice. And then, uh, I, I, yeah, so, so I cleaned it up. It was a little bit better, but it was still, it was still grim. So then and you went to the hospital and got shots after that, right? I, I, that's where I'm going after this, yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing was that it was that I had that cruel moment at the beginning when I got on board this very busy flight. I, I, I 
went and found my seat and there was a, a lady there sort of looking disappointedly at me because she was hoping that maybe the seat next to her would be free. Mm. So I sat down and then she sort of looked behind and the two seats behind us were free. So she was like, oh, there's a couple of free seats there. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, all right, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. So I sat there and it looked as if it was going to work. You know, they were, it was, they were closing the doors. They were doing the announcements for please take your seats, you know, where we're about to take off and all this kind of stuff, and I was thinking, this is amazing, because it's like being first class. If you've got a free seat next to you, it's just a holiday. Yeah. And um, at the very, very last minute, this old couple got on and shot. <laughs> and- at the very last minute, a family of hyenas got on board, yeah. <laughs> carrying a box full of babies. <laughs> so it was. It was Which just- part was more impressive? <laughs> <laughs> were, they- <laughs> were they sweet babies? Yeah, just loud. Okay. It is loud, just loud babies. Actually, that was the only thing that, that wasn't happening, was there was no... There was no screaming of toddlers. But other than that, it was just grim. Yeah, it's a tough... Uh, it's a, the, the, the 12 hours... The 12 hour back... But it's, it's only nine and a... It's like nine and a half over 11 or 12 back. Right. So it's not... It'll be quicker by a little bit when, back. when you go back. Also, I don't mind the, the... The nighttime one is not so bad for me because, you know, then you... Your body just gives out after a while, and you mm-hmm. have to you, you sleep for at least a couple of hours, and that breaks the back of it somewhat. But I was awake for the whole. You know, I got I got on the plane at three in the afternoon UK time. I was awake right through the whole thing, every single minute. Oh, uh, I've been up on movies though. You know? Yeah, but I've still seen them all. Saw, saw them yeah. all. I saw the, the documentary about the backing singers, Twenty Feet from, from Stardom. Yeah, yeah, I like that. that was That's good. a good one. Too bad it wasn't twelve hours long. I, know, I could have handled a lot more. But to answer your original question, sorry for the tangential reply there. No. Um, I came here a few months back to, to uh, do South by Southwest and then ended up doing some stand-up shows in New York and, and L.A. And uh, at the show, one of the shows I did in L.A., a few of my friends came along and brought this guy, Chris Holmes, who I think, you know, he's a DJ and sort of scene here mm-hmm. in L.A., for those who don't know him. He's a zealot of the alternative music scene. Right. I don't know if he'll appreciate being called a scene but <laughs> uh, I think if anyone is a scene Chris Holmes is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he was that guy that was supposed to DJ my wedding, but then had to cancel because he had to DJ for Paul McCartney. There you go. Oh, yeah. right. It's yes. a good excuse. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good still excuse. not a good excuse, in my estimation. The uh, other guy that I had as he's a backup, DJ for Paul, Paul McCartney. He, he's the opening DJ for Paul McCartney around the world. Fucking kidding me? No. He just opens for Paul McCartney as a DJ? Yeah. And I think that a large part of his set is playing Beatles covers that are in the language of whatever country Macca happens to be playing at. So it'll be Brazilian Beatles covers if he's in Brazil, etc. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, he's, and it's insane. It's insane. It's cool. All right. So yeah, it was all half a stance because of, uh, uh, he was doing a party at Coachella and Nigel uh, Goodrich, Godrich? Godrich. God, Nigel Godrich, the producer of uh, Radiohead. Radiohead, was there and then recommended him. And then Chris was driving one day and got a phone call. And he's like, uh, hello, Chris, this is Paul McCartney. And he's like, ah, shut up. Fuck you. Yeah. Who is this, you dumb piece of shit? Yeah. <laughs> no, really, it's Paul McCartney. Yeah, you've been highly recommended from Nigel. That's so he came along, not Macca, but Chris Holmes. And he, he really liked the show, and he said, you've got to come back to L.A., and we'll, we'll, I'll fix up some more shows for you. You know, which is exactly what I wanted to hear, because I love coming to the States, but, um, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to fund it myself every time I want to do it. No, it's which, not. Which I did last time. You know, I got myself out to South by Southwest, because I was pleased to be invited to do something there. 
but after a while, it, it stops being economically viable. And also yeah. energy viable. Like it's, it's, a yeah. tough, it's a tough slog because touring is hard enough as it is. But touring when you're going, you know, when you're having to fly over to a different continent and then, yeah. and then start doing shows. Yeah, exactly. Especially if no one knows you. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm sort of a cult concern in the UK, let alone in America. There's very few people <laughs> who know me over here. I don't know. You, you have a nice so. little Twitter following uh, behind your belt, Adam Bucks. There's a nice <laughs> yeah. little... Uh, people are aware of you. Well, you, do, you do the good panel I'm, shows. Thanks very much. I'm carving out... You know, I'm trying to carve out little niches here and there. It would be great if I had a few hundred people that I could play to as an excuse to come out to the States every now and again. You know what I mean? And that's... Yeah. So that's the idea. I'm gonna it's do, kind of fun. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm going to do a show. I'm doing little spots. I'm doing a spot at UCB tonight. Nice. How big is UCB in LA? 99 seats. Okay, all right. Yeah, about a hundred. How about they, they can you squeeze in a little bit more? On they the can squeeze stage. in a little bit more. Yeah. Unless you're a, a fire marshal, then the, they're not squeezing any more in. But really, it's usually like one twenty. Seats that are there, allocated for the people. Yeah, you should do meltdown too. Yes. Oh, I'm going to do meltdown on Wednesday. Oh, good. Very yes. excited. Yeah, that'll be fun. And You'll love it. You'll love both of the venues. Yeah. Are you going to be there on Wednesday? Um, probably not because we. Shows. Yeah, we do two shows on Wednesdays for right. at midnight, and so I usually don't leave until 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. on Wednesdays. So I'll miss the. You'll be there, right, Jonah? Yes, uh, um, yeah, I host the show. So Excellent I'll be there. Yeah. stuff. So you, you, yeah, you'll be there as Kumail. Yeah. Kumail will be there. We're excited. It's funny. Yeah. I think you and I are in the same but opposite positions, which is where. I'm I, not that many people know me in England, and it's really only because of the podcast and right. maybe talking bad. But when I went out there last year, I played the Leicester Square Theater, and I think you know, like it was enough. It was like 300 people or something. It was like a, it was a fine amount. That's to do, good, to man. Do a show. Yeah. So I mean, I did a show at the Atwater Theater the last time I was out here, out in Los Feliz, right? Yeah, so Atwater Village. Yeah, and uh, so what? I mean, that's about 900 people or something in there, and that was mainly people that I'd. You know, got to come along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I so, feel like with British, list. it feels like with British stand-ups, this thing happens where it's like, oh, I'm doing these uh, pub shows, or I'm, you know, I just did like a 300 seat venue, and then I was on TV, and uh, I'm playing the O2 this Friday. Like, <laughs> so, you have so many people that actually play arenas. In yeah, England. well, that's a certain kind of comedy. That's not my sort of stuff. My my stuff is like a kind of a uh, stupid TED talk. Really, it's all off my laptop, and so. The jokes are all incorporated into there, and it's very much, uh, it's very much not the kind of arena filling yeah. <laughs> stuff that's going on in the. Also, because of the screen, though, it's kind of a small venue thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it works. It works in a big venue as long as they've got a big screen. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, like, I did some shows for a couple of thousand people in in London, but they were good because they had a massive, great right. screen on stage, and and it works fine. You know, yeah. but that also but, makes some shows that like the problem you ran into with Hard and Firm, where it's like. Once you say, oh, I need a projection and a screen, and then they go, well, now the theater costs this much for you. Right, exactly. It's really expensive to, when you start, you know, when you start adding stuff in venues here, unless it's just like a rock club where it's like, fucking set it up yourself. But if it's like a proper theater, they're like, oh, a screen, uh, that's an extra $1,200. We got to bring in that guy. Yeah, we have to bring in this guy and we have to get this equipment. And then all of a sudden, it starts getting really expensive. So it's hard. It's hard to do it all. Well, the best thing um, is to do cinemas, of course. Mm -hmm. Did you do a lot of cinema shows? No, but there are some good cinema venues. The. is it the Baghdad in Portland or the Baghdad Aladdin? has a theater? Yeah, um, and then uh, like the draft houses that are starting to pick up around the states, but not not too much. I mean, there's not too many places. Did you do Largo? No, no, Largo, Largo. Do they have a screen? I thought they doesn't he have a screen back there. I don't know. Oh, maybe not. I mean, I've got I brought a projector with me like last time because I went to New York and I um, was doing UCB there, 
and uh, UCB East. Mm -hmm. And so went down, but I got the thing, which I often get sometimes if I'm playing smaller venues and people haven't got no idea, you know, they've got no idea who I am, of just a look of absolute disgust on the (laughs) face of the technician when I went in and said, where do I plug in my laptop? He's like, what? And um, they're used to just doing lights out at the end of an improv. Yeah, scene. exactly. And the, the 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 attitude is very much like, well, you should write some jokes, you stupid twat. <laughs> um, I have. There are these but... bells and whistles, friend. <laughs> so then I uh, I was supposed to be doing two nights there, so I couldn't do my my set on the first night because they hadn't got the memo about me plugging in my laptop. Uh, but the next night took along this little tiny projector that I've got which turns out to be amazing, and it totally did the job. So I just set it up on one of the seats in the audience, got one of the audience members to hold it so it didn't fall over during the set, <laughs> and uh, I was sorted. It was great. That's was great. it like a little Pico projector, just like a tiny little... An Optima, it's called. And um, it's just for doing little you know, office presentations. God, Furman and I, when we used to do hard and firm yeah, stuff, we had a giant... The smallest projector I could find in 2004 was... A, a quite large projector yeah. that was very cumbersome and it's like well then you have to have this and then you had to have a DVD player to hook up to it that's and right. that's gotta you know then you have to then it gets so hot then you gotta too. do like XLRs into the sound system <laughs> <laughs> and then you need a converter for that yeah. and yeah. then a screen we had a fucking screen we would carry around like it was a full on you had a screen I carry a sheet with me now that's good. every now and again you will need you know you'll get to a venue and it'll all be fine in the email kind of thing but when you get there they're like uh, or maybe they've they've got like a little sh- white sheet of A4 paper or something. They're like, hey, you can use that as a screen. Most venues, yeah. I think, don't communicate in any way with the people. Where yeah. you you can very you can lay out in detail. And I need this, and I need this work. And you show up, and they're like, yeah, no one told me anything. Yeah, like, really, not one. They could have just forwarded you the. Uh... There's this crazy thing that just happened up uh, in Portland, where like Lance Bangs was going to show some videos at this venue, and he went like three times within the coming days before the show. He's like, hey, I just want to make sure this is what we're going. This is when my show. I'm going to have this and the projector. And the guy's like, got it, got it, got it. And then so it comes time, and he's like, all right, now we have a video, and it's nothing's working. And the guy's like, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what's wrong. And like, he's like, but we talked about it. He's like, I don't know. And so Lance is running around trying to show this clip of one of the last uh, video uh, Mitch Hedberg sets. Oh. And Lance was on one of that, the last tour they did, and it's, like, and it's this video of Mitch trying to like, get the mics to work. At this show in Portland, where he's like trying, like he's like they keep, they keep on cutting out. He has to keep on doing it. He's kind of flipping out and kind of yelling at the guy, kind of making fun of the guy, and then like you know on the ground, Mitch Hebert just doing like you know kind of having this meltdown about this guy that's just fucking him up. And then the guy at the venue who's watching that going, "Hey, w- was this in Portland?" And the Lance goes, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I was the sound guy at that oh, show." Shit. <laughs> Not understanding oh, the coincidence. <laughs> He like, like he's like, oh yeah, it's red. I remember that. And like not getting that the same thing's happening all over again. Oh my god, I'm yeah. glad it happens to other people, not just yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Because it is. I mean, it's 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 constant uh, aggro, really. Uh, and I mean, I was at the Atwater Theatre. They were very nice at the Atwater Theatre. Lovely venue as well. But I'd gone in the day before just to make sure everything was going to be okay and try and circumvent any problems and anticipate them. And we'd got everything sorted. It was all going to be fine and figured out a kind of lighting state and everything. And then, um, unbeknownst to me, the people helping me arrange the thing had booked a, an opener. And so he, he came on and did his little 15 minutes before me or whatever. And then when I came on, all the lighting state was totally different. Mm. And so, and you know, when I come on, I sort of sing a song at the beginning. And uh, so I had to kind of stop the song and say, we need to turn all those lights off because you can't see the screen. 
And do you remember it was, we went through it yesterday? <laughs> okay, mate, it was, remember yesterday? It was in the afternoon. I spent an hour. I was, uh, I was the guy who was here for an hour yesterday. No, nothing. No, uh, same, guy, same, face, same name even. He, same person. And he'd gone. The guy had gone. And he'd left someone else in charge. Oh, and so they were sort of starting. They were like shaking their head at me and going <laughs> through the window. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting such severe flashbacks to when I used to tour with Mike Furman for Hard and Firm. It's just... It's, and I started to get to... I mean, though, some of those moments can become some of the best moments of your show. Yes, well, uh, people who came to the show said that was the bit they enjoyed best. It was me, <laughs> <laughs> it was me arguing. One of the bits they But at a certain point, you're just like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, because I was, I was incandescent with rage. Because I was so... You know, I, I fucking cycled all the way down there the day before. <laughs> Cycling through L.A., you know, uh, with a f- giant backpack on my back, looking like a massive wally. <laughs> and <laughs> got to the place and gone through the hassle of figuring all this out and everything. And then it was totally out the window. So I was really furious. I felt like a twat. I was all ready to just do the show and do it nice and smoothly. And uh, it was that thing where the first five minutes is semi-funny... When you're arguing and, and saying, yeah, no, no, not, 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 not like that. <laughs> um, just, <laughs> just take that one off and switch all those. Yeah, don't switch them right off, right off, switch them all off. Yeah, no, not the orange one. I hate orange. <laughs> switch, switch it off. So it was, it was sort of semi-amusing for five minutes, but then it goes on for another five minutes. And then I, by that time I was getting really, really angry. And then, they, and then they turned the mic right down because there was something else happening in the, in the space next door. I was like, Why? oh, the mic's gone. Where's the mic gone? And they were like, oh, we we got to keep it low because there's something happening next door. Oh. <laughs> and then I went... And then with what volume I had in the mic, I just went, Jesus Christ! <laughs> um, and then they were going, don't do that. <laughs> and you don't want to communicate your rage to the audience. You don't want to infect the audience with your fury. No, because then they'll get uncomfortable. Exactly, and then they'll bum them out and they'll have a horrible time. Mom and so dad are fighting, everyone's yep. like... Ugh. So I was trying to keep it light, but it was very difficult. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, it all worked. Ultimately, out fine. it was good. Yeah, it was fine. Well, this the um, I, I I have so many of those stories, but one of my favorites was you, you said you had, you played Rodeohead on the radio. At oh some yeah, point, right? yeah. Okay, so it, Furman and I, when we first started doing Rodeohead, we actually had a full band. And we were playing it live, but it was very expensive to do that because we had to pay everyone. So then we decided, let's just pay them once. We'll shoot them in a recording studio playing backup, and then we'll do a bunch of After Effects and make it look like a CNN, like we've, we've live via satellite. Like the gorillas used to do with their... Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then we put all this, this, this dumb fake news crawl with a bunch of dumb non sequiturs uh, at the bottom. And, and by the way, people still were like, I, how did you get a satellite <laughs> uplink? We're like, you didn't notice the bottom where it says like, you know... Uh, sharks are walking the streets of New York or whatever stupid thing it was like they just didn't even pay attention what's funny about that though is like I remember seeing you do that and being like oh what a cool idea and it never once occurred to me like oh this was a fix for you guys to try it and was just a fix simplify so, so the way that it would work is we would so we would we had a dialogue that we had set up with the band a pre, a pre and so you know we would go well it's a lot of people a lot of people don't know that this is happening live via satellite can you guys prove it? And then Lee Farber, the drummer, goes, oh, actually, I brought a newspaper. And I go, Lee, what is data in the newspaper? And he looks at and he goes, today's. And we're like, great. <laughs> and so, uh, so we go through this whole thing that's like a five-minute setup. And then we get into Rodeohead, and we're halfway in. And we're performing at the Hotel Cafe in, on Coanga. And uh, 
I turn and my foot kicks the plug of the projector out. Oh, and mate. the DVD player and everything. It's like kick the power cord out. It's the nightmare scenario. And it just yeah. ew. And we just stopped. We were, <laughs> we're playing over silence for like a, a second and then we just stopped. <sighs> Gotta plug it back in. Oh, That's hard the, the, whole, the whole thing where it's like acquiring <laughs> signal. Find the spot. Walk yeah. people. It's like so today's day. Yeah, the the magic is basically like the sawing the lady in half. The full lady <laughs> fell out of the box. We had to put her back in, and be like, no, 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 no. Her legs are still here, and her torso is still here. Yeah. And there's absolute silence while you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, for us though, we we sort of thrive and thrived in that environment, so it yeah. was it was fun. But it was just one of those like God when it happens damn to me, it. there's absolute silence. <laughs> That's happened to me a couple of times. One one time, I had a ridiculous thing where um, the bottom, like you know, sometimes when you plug in your laptop to someone else's projector. You know, the, the resolution changes, yeah. and so all the documents, like I had a Photoshop document open that I wanted to go through, and the bottom of the document was no longer grabbable. It was no longer on the screen because the resolution changed. So it was off, it was off the desktop. And so I got halfway through this presentation with this Photoshop document, and then I realized that in a couple of moves' time, I was no longer going to be able to do it because I couldn't fucking move it down. And I didn't know how to zoom it so that everything would fit back onto the desktop. And uh, so I thought, oh, God, am I going to carry on and just ignore it? Or, and I thought, no, I'm not. So I explained to the audience what had happened, and they all went quiet. And I said, so I don't really know what I'm going to do uh, now, because that's mainly the, be- the rest of the presentation. So I, sp- uh, I was wondering if there's any IT people in the, in the audience that uh. might have an idea of how to get beyond this. And so the audience laughed. I said, no, I'm not, not joking about <laughs> that. I, was, I, I would genuinely appreciate some uh, IT support. And so three people from the audience came up one after the other and all of them unable to <laughs> fix the problem. And the audience were all cheering each time one of them came up and oh, it was just awful. I think they enjoyed themselves, but I, I was so mortified that at the end of the show I said, listen, this is, this is bad and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on a free show for you. So if you want to come to a free show... Write your names down, write your email address down, and I'll, I'll get in touch with you. Sort of thinking that very few people would, and every single person, like 300 people did. So then I, then I had to spend the rest of the uh, night, I remember, just trying to read people's oh. handwriting. <laughs> it took me like three hours to, to get all these emails down, then I had to figure out how to do a mass email uh, mail-out, and oh, it was an absolute nightmare. That's very... You know... So what I'm getting from you so far is that you're very thoughtful. You'll clean dirty airplane bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. You'll put on free shows when, when the resolution... Uh, well, it's sort of... Um, it's a little bit of mental illness in there, isn't there, really, I think? Because uh, a lot of those things are... That was you putting soap and towels on the audience to try to fix the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I can't handle... I'm trying to fend off the, the moment when you read some negative comment on Twitter or online about the show. You, you know mean, mean all the time? Because that's, that's, that's why the they made it. Did you hear? That's what the founders of Twitter said. Oh, this is just... We made this so people can make other people feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> they finally admitted it. Well, I, uh, I, I think it's... I, I really think those can be, like I said... Some of the most magical moments, and I think stuff not going according to plan. I mean, at a certain point, it can be devastating, but I think, I think those create really special moments that people take away rather than when everything goes off without a hitch. Yeah. 
I mean, the, I, I sort of agree with you, but there are times when you have put so much work into the presentation that you want it to go without it. Of course. And yeah, you course. think that that would be, that has its, it, it has its own charm, you know what I mean? There are little pockets that you build into the show where you can veer off the tracks a little bit and stop it from being just a, a totally rote yeah. presentation. But uh, I agree with you, though, that they, I mean, audiences do seem to like it when, when things genuinely fuck up. Because that's what that, <clears throat> I think that's what makes live performance so great is that it's this, it is this kind of unique, intimate experience. Mm. And, you know, the more special things that happen in that one moment, then people don't feel like, oh, this is the same thing that happens every show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, this is a, this is a shared experience that we're all having right now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think uh, I think it, it just I think it bothers you way more than it bothers Probably. the people who are actually there. I heard your podcast the other day with Divine Fitz, where you were talking about the notion of comedy being like a magic show rather than rock and roll being like a uh, something that you wanted to hear over again. Well, you know, w- with comedy, once they once the audience have seen the trick, that's it, kind of thing. They, it doesn't bear a rewatching the same way that uh, music does. I think that's mostly true. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think you're right. I hadn't heard it expressed that way before, but I've often thought to myself that it's kind of unfair and annoying that it doesn't work the same way. I mean, I do think... It, it's weird, though. You must have a lot of people that come to your shows more than once and, and are happy to, to see you doing the same set. I get so self-conscious. Like yeah, There are some too. people that... I mean, I just did five shows in Salt Lake City, and there there were people that I saw at more than one show. But and so I I feel bad. Like I check in with them. I feel bad like getting to some of the same punchlines, and and so I go, okay, they're laughing. But it's part of the reason why like forty percent of my show is just talking to the audience because I know that even if you see the same show more than once, it's That's never exactly the same. There's yeah. like there's still a different experience about each one. Yeah. Yeah. But there is that you know the. The comedies relies on the aha moments, and once people know that moment, then it's hard. It yeah, can you, be hard, but and you want to like you know have like an honest back to your like you know your material, and so when you do that thing in a bit where you're like you kind of fi- you you do that thing where you act out like you're finding the joke or you laugh at it, something you right. Know, those kind of things that you it happened once organically and it got such a good response that you tend to make that moment happen over and over. You again. become skilled at recreating it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when you know that someone's seen that exact like, uh, and then uh, yeah. well, isn't that weird that you know you kind of come yeah. up with this thing that seemingly is. But I think I, I I maybe am totally wrong about this, but I sometimes feel as if that's part of the fun for them is analyzing how it's all yeah. fitting together. And, Some people and really it... do like that. I, someone came to the Thursday show. And I, I started developing a new little chunk. And then in the last show on Saturday, she said, oh, it was really interesting to watch this thing start as an idea on Thursday. And then I remembered oh, wow. watching watching uh, day, in San Francisco, watching a couple different Chappelle shows and watching one bit sort of accidentally pop out on one night and a few nights later it was a fully formed bit. And I was like, whoa. Mm, like, oh, that's true. I, yeah. totally, I totally loved watching that process. Some people... Some specific comedy nerds. It's a very specific bunch, but there are a handful of people that really do kind of enjoy that sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. And then, then you have the other, the converse thing where you say something that goes down really well one night, and then you try and do it again, and it just never works again. And it's Ever so again. frustrating. And you keep trying to hammer it again. You think, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that bit again and see if that because uh, there was that one glorious night. When it went so well, oh, chasing back the dragon, night. chasing yeah. the comedy dragon, <laughs> and it never happens. And eventually, you just think, oh, "It's time to kill you." So, when did you start doing? When did you actually start doing stand up? Uh, well, I mean, I, I would I hesitate to call it stand up performance. You know I mean? When did you start performing? But, but, yeah, performing live 
2005. Mm-hmm. Um, before then, I'd always just made videos with uh, Joe Cornish, my comedy mm-hmm. partner yep. in the UK, now known to some as a uh, movie director. Attack the Block was his debut feature. Yep, great moment. That one, uh, that one did all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, the you know... of Ant-Man, kind of? That's right. Uh, part of... I, I, I'm, I, I'm not as up on my um, Ant-Man drama as I should be. Yeah. I know that there's... I just uh, said... I just thought the other night on Twitter, I was like, fuck it, I'll direct Ant-Man. Who yeah. gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> and then... And then Everyone's I, there in place already. Yeah, and then I, I had a hashtag, uh, yes, Hardwick can't, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then people are like, wait, so does that mean you can't direct it or you can? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you should direct it. You direct it. I'll direct it. Um, I'll, yeah, I could, do, I could do it way better than Edgar. <laughs> Edgar Wright, he's a moron. Um, <laughs> but the camera, just swish it from side to side. Yeah, exactly. Put a few... Uh, stick some groovy music on the top bongo Um, but uh, so Joe and I used to just make videos really um, and we were kind of telly heads that's how we got into the whole entertainment world was being fans and and doing a sort of show that was like Wayne's World but real really we made it all ourselves and we did four series of this thing called the Adam and Joe show on channel four and it was full of uh, movie parodies and TV parodies that we used to do with toys and Star Wars figures and things like that. You, know? you said it was kind of uh, inspired by Jake Fogelman. So. Yes. Well, uh, a friend of ours, Louis Theroux, who actually uh, I'm staying with Louis out in L.A. Um, he uh, was working in New York for Spy magazine for a while and then on Michael Moore's show TV Nation that oh, yeah. he used to do. And so he was our... Um, you know, pipeline of, of amazing, cool US stuff. And he sent us this tape of Jake Fogelnest's show, Squirt TV. Squirt TV, MTV show, former yeah. MTV show. Yeah. Right. And uh, and he sort of said, look, you see, this is this is what you should do. You should do, like, you should pull... Because we were working on trying to figure out a good format for, for all our little <laughs> bits and pieces. Um, but we could never figure out how it would work. And he just said, just do it in your flat, you know. Um, and that, and watching that, and how funny that was, gave us yeah. the confidence to, to sort of go YouTube ahead. YouTube before do it. YouTube, really. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, there was that that public access. Squirt was public access, wasn't it? Was it? Pu- public access first. Yeah, yeah, and then and then MTV snatched. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, it it that idea of you know it was much harder to like oh I'll just make my own thing before. There were really simple ways to do that technologically. Like, oh, now you got to have all the equipment. Yeah, it's like big clunky equipment. How do we get? Where do we put it? Do we upload it? Our, our connection's really bad. This is good. This is going to be expensive when people start downloading this. Yeah, the well, God, there was there, we didn't have to worry about the internet when we were doing our stuff. Though we, I mean, I think I only started getting email in about 1998. I was a fairly late adopter. Um, and so anyway, we did our TV show for a long while, and then uh, and then it kind of I don't know we sort of stopped, and we, we we got to a point in the UK where we were dipping our toes in the mainstream a little bit, but we were still very culty, you know, late night on Channel Four in the UK. Great channel, uh, yeah, fantastic channel. We were on at the same like, um, and so that's how we got to know Edgar and all that lot, Edgar Wright, because they were doing space at the same time, so we were sort of going to the same parties kind of thing. Yeah. And um, seeing all the Little Britain people, and I mean, they weren't doing Little Britain then, but they they would do, and all that. Also, the Iowate wholeness guys, right? Yeah, actually, was... they were a little bit younger than us. Oh, okay. um, so, but we were seeing like the Bush and uh, 
people like that, you know, they they were more our generation. But it was all, you know, the kind of Chris Morrissey, yeah, uh, Amanda Iannucci. They were a little bit older, but um, Graham Linehan was a, you know, him like yeah. he wrote Father Ted with Arthur Matthews, and Follow so Graham on Twitter, yeah. Uh, and he follow, he did a show called Big Train. Have you seen Big Train? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's a great sketch show. We, we wrote we wrote a couple of sketches on that, me and Joe. And you worked on Look Around You. I love Look I was Around in you. an episode of Look Around You. Yeah, that's right. And Robert Popper was a big... Uh, Peter Serafinovich and Robert Popper were very sociable. And so they were... And very enthusiastic, you know. And they were sort of those people who catalyze a lot of things and hmm. uh, get people enthused. And Robert Poppy used to have a kind of video night where people would go around and um, just show weird videos that they had. You know, again, like yeah. YouTube before YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. Um, so there was all that going on. It was, it was, uh, it was really good fun. But th- then we didn't really know what to do after, you know, we didn't know how to move on from just doing this homemade TV show. We didn't want to go totally mainstream and start doing panel shows and stuff. Um, so we did a few strange things that didn't really work and then kind of drifted off in our own separate ways. The thing that saved me and Joe eventually was radio and, and later on podcasting. That's how we managed to maintain our relationship. But as far as TV was concerned, it was too exhausting, you know, just because, because we made it all ourselves. It put a real strain on the friendship because it's such hard work and you're in, and you had no sense of whether anyone was watching the thing as well. You know, pre-internet, there was... You just thought, well, why am I making this like in a vacuum? <laughs> you know. Well, also, and then, and then there's also compromises in terms of, you know, what what you think the joke is supposed to be and how it's going to be presented and who your audience is. And oh, I kind of want this, but oh, I want this, and I want to. This is for this people, and these are for these people, and you yeah. have to, you know, you start getting really personal about. You get very precious, and you argue about pathetic things that are. Um, you know, masking more serious underlying issues. <laughs> you end up arguing about like which game, games console is the uh, is the best and things like that. We had a big argument about whether the PS3 was better than the SNES or something, and, uh, and it, we almost ended up crying at the end of that one. <laughs> so who won? So I think well, jo- I think Joe stormed out. <laughs> so you won. Uh, so in a way, I won. Yeah, yeah I beat him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically like getting him out of the sumo ring right there is what yeah. that is. Like, I think you get the point on that that's one. That's right. Um, but then, and that's the, I think that's what his whole Hollywood career has been, is, is just him trying to rub my face in, in it to get me back for the PS3 argument. <laughs> uh, to show... <laughs> Teach. At the end of the credits of just like attack the bloggers, like, right. which side were you? Were you PS3 or were you? I was I was SNES. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think he was probably um, right. He's usually right. No, I think that's probably part of the argument was that I was annoyed with the fact that he was right again. You're gonna get these weird phone calls in the middle of the night. Ring, hello, PlayStation. Like, <laughs> no, please. But yeah, so we, uh, we we kind of drifted off for a while, and then around about 2005, I was. Um, I just thought, God, I've got to do something else. Otherwise, I'm just going to crawl up my own ass and do nothing. I, I, man, I did some ridiculous, pointless waste of time things. Like for a while, I was obsessed with DVD commentaries. And when they first started coming out, I, I, I got it into my head that it would be a brilliant TV show to do like a, a MST3000 
DVD commentary. Because like in the UK, not many people know about MST3000. And um, I thought someone is going to do a show where they do fake DVD commentaries, and that that'll be. And you can go off and you can do. You can be really creative within it, you know. And you can go to the extras menu, and you can have little fake EPKs, and you can do all sorts of things. You can have different people coming in on the commentary, and and you do it the MST style with um, stuff that's out of copyright, you know. Yeah. And I shot this idea for a while, around for a while, and I did it with a couple of shows like crap shows in the UK just to give people an idea of how it would work and it took months doing it and then a guy Rob Bryden have you ever heard of him he he's nice. he's brilliant he's very funny and he does a uh, a show called The Trip with Steve Coogan oh yeah yes yeah. yes um, which I put on, a, on your drive incidentally I made, new one I, yeah I made the... you guys a, a selection of stuff that you may or may not have seen to put on your computers yeah it's on that drive like documentaries and oh nice things yeah. that I like holy and I shit put, I put the trip on there which I like the first trip or the, the new the, trip the trip to Italy oh, oh awesome I haven't seen yeah, yeah it's good anyway he's super talented Rob Bryden but he beat me to the punch on that thing uh, on the commentary thing and so uh, I, I was just like oh fucking hell I've got to do something else and so I thought, well, the only thing left to do is like live performing, as I've I've never done that before. So I went off to Edinburgh and did a show uh, as as a I was playing a character, a kind of Russian animator, um, which mainly gave me an excuse to crowbar in some of the stupid videos. Like I made a video of an episode of Pokemon that was all desaturated and grainy and had, <laughs> had I'd redubbed it so that it was all weird and Eastern European. Like a, <laughs> it was like a kind of Spankmeyer thing. Um, so it, the show was really an excuse to, to get those bits in. Um, did it work well in Edinburgh? Yeah, it worked fine, I think. Uh, yeah, it did. It worked, it worked really well. And actually, Graham Linehan helped me write some jokes for that and... So it was good, but it was pretty hard work, and it wasn't really, it wasn't really, um, you know, I, I, I still wasn't any good at like doing stuff as myself. You know what I mean? Like I had to do character stuff. Are you better at that? Now? Well, because you do, yeah. you do the you do the panel shows as yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine now. And it, it, the thing that, uh, well, I, I say I'm fine. I'm still pretty ropey because I don't do them very often. So I, I always. Like sometimes you can see, I still have that slightly scared look. Which, uh, <laughs> but you just hosted some award show. You emailed and you said, "I'm backstage. I'm at an award show." Yeah, I do a few award shows, and uh, I quite like doing them. But that was a difficult one. That was what was that one? Oh yeah, that was the design awards. The problem with that one was that it just all the timing went weird, and so I ended up sat in this horrible little green room <laughs> uh, with no windows or anything for about four hours. Just thinking, like, what am I doing? You know, because they, they split the awards show into two halves. So I did the first, like, half hour, and that was fine. Then I had to sit in this green room for four hours. So I just listened to you doing your Tom Hanks uh, Nerdist podcast, which was amazing. Which one? Uh, the first one and then the second one. Well, yeah. he's... We, we got to give credit to Tom Hanks on that one. Yeah. He was fucking awesome yeah. from start to finish. He's so, I mean... Obviously, he is like super talented, and uh, uh, um, he's a megastar. So, and also the intimidating thing about him is that he—you can hear that he could quite easily be a very good stand-up as well, don't you think? Well, did you ever see Punchline? Uh, no, I've never seen it, but I heard you talking about that. Yeah, yeah and he's yeah. good on it, is he? Well, he's good. I mean, the the movie's okay. Yeah, but he's good in it, and but he does. He has a com- he has a comic he has the comic gene which well, when, is that he'll just start riffing and he yeah yeah when, when he's doing that whole Willie was it Willie Mays that he was talking that, that it was, was don't touch them 
Yeah. The, the, uh, was, or... was it Willie? Was it Willie? Uh... Or some, some baseball guy. Babe Ruth or I don't know. No, no it wasn't Babe Ruth. It was, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was Willie. Those are the only two baseball guys I you know. You have a computer in front of you, Katie. What are you <laughs> scratching your chin for? Like, you don't know how you're going to yeah. divine this information. They're Just dead. look, don't. It's blasting. It's blasting caps. Blasting Bla- caps. Blast caps. Blasting uh, don't touch it. Did you do what I suggested in the email on the award show? Go fuck yourself. Uh, did, no, no, no. Paint, I, I just like that. It's really amazing. Um, paint my knob gold and pull that out as a special award. Yeah, at the end, just go, I have one final presentation to make. And then you, <laughs> we have one final award to give out. And then you take your, your, gold, your dick out after you paint your gold. My golden knob. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be good. It would be good if you could become tumescent before you did it. <laughs> Otherwise, it might be underwhelming. They might think they're getting a, uh, a special award. <laughs> Yeah. One of two things would happen. Number one, you would get to host everything in Britain from then on. Or number yeah. two, you'd never have to host yeah. anything in Britain from then on. <laughs> host everything from prison. <laughs> I think it would be fine. But you guys, your content, you're, you're, you're so much more, uh, you're so much uh, cooler about what type of content is okay to broadcast. In the UK. On, on regular television. What, uh, what kind of thing are you thinking about? Well, I mean, it's uh, there's here, uh, you know, American TV will show a lot of violence, right? But you know, in terms of like language or com- like in terms of comedy on the on main on main broadcast television, yeah, yeah, you know, we're really like you can't say that. Yeah. Well, the thing is that in the UK, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, I might be wrong about this, but but my my the, most of the American stuff we get exposed to is the, is the best of the American stuff. So we, you know, we see all the HBO shows, and that's how people think of American TV, is all those brilliant HBO shows and then Breaking Bad and everything else, you know, and The Walking Dead. But um, so we grew up, when I was younger, watching Seinfeld and the Larry Sanders show. Uh, and so Seinfeld was just mind-blowing because it was so different and so tight and funny but obviously it wasn't and it was still edgy material wise yeah you know in some ways in a very clever way but uh on larry sanders you had the language as well and so yeah. i heard the c word on that show before i'd heard it on any other um show in the uk wow. we bre- we beat you to the c word punch i can't well, believe I, it I, I don't know if you did or not but I, that was the first time i'd seen it anyway it. yeah i've never seen chris so proud to be an american at this oh. point. <laughs> good job america that's their word <laughs> and that was i mean that was really edgy and and um there was a lot of moments in there where you thought larry sanders i'm talking about where you thought oh my god i can't believe they're allowed to say all this stuff and a lot of um Jeffrey Tambor's bits as Hank, you know, yeah, were, yeah. were very close well. That was to that was you know that was on um, was that Showtime? No, it was HBO. What it was HBO? Yeah, you think of the, uh, it's Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling show. show was on Showtime. That's right. So you know we well, that was great too. We um, uh, that 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 was really start when when cable television really kind of started to become a viable alternative to network. Yeah, like oh they're re- you know they can take risks and they can do they can swear and they can you know do things that that regular television won't dare to do. So, uh, it, you know, it was a, it was a fun, it was a fun time kind of watching that happen and continues to happen in cable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how broadcast television is going to. Well, I mean, na- now it's, um, now of course the, the whole fun of swearing is, is being diminished somewhat because it's overused or yeah. everyone's got in on the act, but you still, I mean, you still, it's funny is even though you think that we're like that here if you know on broadcast it's like still the 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 fcc will still go after people 
for you know oh they said fuck in an award show and it yeah. slipped through and yeah that's they still weird make isn't a it big deal out of it yeah you've got to pick your moment yeah, <laughs> well, uh, it just it gives people who don't have anything to do something to do by complaining and yeah, I guess the the the, the idea is that you you know there are certain audiences who expect one kind of thing and you don't want to expose people who are just watching with their kids or I don't know what to to stuff that's going to freak them out. But I mean, it's so <laughs> weird anyway. Now people say do 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 people say shit on. Um, primetime TV? No, 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 no. They can't. Oh, right. They can't. You couple times on cable, right? On cable. So like, because the cable isn't regulated the same way that broadcast television is regulated. Yeah. So cable television, any channel in cable television can really say whatever it wants. The reason that they don't is because of sponsors. So, you know, you can, in theory, like you know, on Walking Dead, they could be like, "Holy fucking fuck." And it would be legally fine. Yeah. But More the audience accurate. might complain and the sponsors might complain. And so they, there is sort of a self-imposed standards and practices that works, you know, right. with whoever's sponsoring the television. HBO obviously doesn't have to because it's a subscription. So you don't, you know, fuck it. You can watch it or you don't watch exactly. it. But, um, it, it, and so I, I've noticed that like on Mad Men or Breaking Bad or Walking Dead, they'll get one, I think they get one shit Per show. Oh, they're bursting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll take out fuck. They'll, they'll, they'll take out those... fuck. Yeah, they'll, take, they'll, they'll, they'll drop out fuck. Because yeah. that was the big thing with um, the last episode of the last season of Walking Dead. A- Andrew Lincoln did a bunch of takes where he said, like, they fucked with the wrong people or they don't know who they're fucking with or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and then they did one take where they said screwing. And they and he really wanted like I think they really wanted to be fuck, but then in the end it was like you know I'm just not sure that we're really yeah I don't know if we can jump to there and so they let it's they, the biggest it's the biggest show on cable I think they could have just done one fuck <laughs> <laughs> they're allowed one fuck it would have it would have blown shit up <laughs> it would have blown shit up but back to what you were saying about how you guys were getting like you know uh, HBO shows and mm. oh, like American television is so great. I remember it was, it was about 2005 or six is when I when I started being able to see a lot of British stuff like Channel Four stuff, where like I became aware of you know Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and uh, Nathan Barley and all the Chris Moore stuff, Time Trumpet, mm. Look Around You. It was just this like it was like 2006 five where I just started getting all this. I was like just convinced that England had the best television in the world, and then someone described me. They're like, well, you know how they probably only see. HBO shows, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they have a lot of shit shows too. That's well, what I, that's what I discovered. I mean, I yeah. think all those shows you mentioned are, uh, you know, folks like us, the nerds. We know them and love them, but for the vast majority of people, they're they're cult shows. Really, yeah. it's Time Trumpet. You know, not many people saw Time Trumpet, and uh, even Garth Marenghi, as great as it was, you know, um, that was a show that not that many people were aware of. Yeah. Um, and it was like our show. It was like a little secret club for, for, for people to be. And that's part of the fun of it, really. Um, and that's why a lot of those shows never made it beyond one or two series. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for, for, for the for mainstream stuff, yeah, it's, a lot of it is quite, um, uh, well, we call it end of the pier kind of comedy. You know what I mean? Like um, very broad and... Um, uh, laugh tracks and yeah. uh, big wobbly sets. And what's the state of British television now? Um, 
I mean, it's the same sort of thing. You know, there's good stuff out there and you can find it. And um, I put a show called Hunderbee on your uh, drive there. Have you heard of that one? No. Julia Davis, do you know who she is? She's in, you'd recognize her if you saw her. She's brilliant. She's one of the funniest um, female comedians around. She was in Big Train and she was in a series called Human Remains with Rob Brydon. I've heard of it. And anyway, uh, she's brilliant. And she, she did this show where... Um, it's sort of a period piece, but she did it like they, they shot it with available light, you know, Kubrick style with all these special lenses. In fact, I think they even used the same kind of lenses that Kubrick did. And it was all like candlelight and everything. It was beautifully made, but it's also really weird and, um, very amusingly written. And she's amazingly funny in it. Anyway, so there's things like that, which are very good. And there's always funny people popping up. There's uh, Claudio Doherty, you know her? No. I mean, she's not a Brit. She's Australian, but she's doing more and more stuff in the UK. She's very funny, and she pops up on Channel 4 every now and again. Channel 4 is still pretty good about getting behind new comedy. What's the pitch yeah. process? for? Like, how do you get a show made? And you, is it, do, they, do they do pilots? Or <laughs> You're do they asking just... the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean... A lot, comes from, a lot of comedy comes from radio there, right? Yes, that's true. A lot of big shows do come from Radio 4. Radio 4 does a lot of very good comedy. And so people like Mitchell and Webb, do you know them? Yes, of course. Um, so they, they, they came out of Radio 4 in the same way that shows like um, Brass Eye and mm-hmm. The Day to Day did. Well, not Brass Eye so much, but The Day to Day was yeah. from on the hour on Radio 4. Oh! Yeah. And, Fucking uh, love the day today and brass eyes, yeah. but day to, the, but the first time I saw the day today, I was, uh, it was just like, <gasps> I know it was amazing, wasn't it? When I was at, uh, I was at art that? school, yeah. I was at art school at the time, and um, I hadn't even, and the day today wasn't on, but on the hour was, and I was doing the same sort of, uh, I was on, you know, I was, I was in the same Venn diagram kind of thing. Yeah. Um, of news parodies that I was doing, but mine were awful, you know. But they were, but, but it was the same sort of thing of playing with uh, language and words and doing, you know, uh, lampooning the inanity of a lot of uh, local news broadcasters. I and, love the thing you did with the the Pope. Oh yeah, yeah. Pope. That that was so great. Was, a new Pope. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had fun. That was a, that was that came off the back of doing Time Trumpet with Amanda Iannucci and him. Um, letting me because uh, that was a BBC show so I was able to raid the BBC archives and do oh, a lot perfect. of and just use a lot of footage and revoice it and recut it and, and do these kind of science fiction commentaries on uh, on state funerals yeah. and things like that it was great it was just uh, like a, the you know Pope new Pope being crowned what do you say no it was the funeral of, it was the funeral um, of the Pope yeah. but it was just all these different people and like it was all the voiceover was just acting like it was a, a galactic uh, conference and just every yeah. time it would show another person it would just be like this is you know this person from this galaxy it was good fun yeah. <laughs> so yeah we were doing what was I saying before it was about the uh, about the you uh, said time trip you were talking about day to day the first time you saw oh it, yeah. yeah so day to day yeah and so we've, so some, someone at college said like hey you know uh, you should you should listen to this show on the hour um, I think you'd like it. <laughs> and it was one of those things that I think, looking back on it, they were sort of going, you know, your stuff's a little bit shit. You need a wake-up call. Someone's doing it much, much better than you. <laughs> and here it is. And so I listened to that, and you get, it's that weird feeling of, like, half of your heart sinking, and you're like, no. Oh. Uh, and the rest of your heart soaring, because you're thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then the day-to-day came out, and that was um, that was so funny. And you thought, well, they're never going to be able to make 
news programs the same again because um, this has totally destroyed all those stupid, lazy conventions. And yeah. um, but instead, it had the effect of convincing a whole generation of journalists and newsmakers and TV program makers who grew up loving that show. It seemed as if they were using it as a blueprint <laughs> for what they should do. So now it's like, well, the day to day was like Fox News before Fox News almost, wasn't it? Well, and I, I mean, it was really, it was, it was I mean, it was Daily Show esque, but in the sense that the episodes were evergreen and it really was more of a satire without the direct current event social messaging. Right. At the same time, it was really just a. This is a generic. This is the, this is sort of this generic type of show. Yeah, and here's a bunch of nonsense. And and, and that show must have been was that like ninety three or ninety four? I mean, it's something like that. Yeah, and they but all the stuff with the graphics, you know, the layers and layers of ridiculous <laughs> graphics <laughs> that went on forever. That absolutely predicted the way that TV went then for the next <laughs> ten years. What was that Charlie Brooker sketch uh, where he was just talking about like field pieces? Oh, that's like, great, uh, isn't it? It's yeah, like, um, you know, like a, a drab dressed man and walking towards the camera using his hands to make points goes and cuts <laughs> to an interview with some idiot, and it just cuts to yeah, going like, I don't know what I'm talking about or why they would interview me for anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. So isn't you it? love that? Con- you love the convention of taking existing things and then just repurposing them. Yeah, I mean, part part of it is laziness um, <laughs> and watching too much TV. You know, like for a while, it's difficult now with sky boxes and stuff to actually transfer the material from the box to your computer. You know what I mean? Um, like if you wanted, if you saw something on TV, the, the actual physical process of getting it off your your digi box. Oh yeah, and making a copy that you can then manipulate on your computer is quite a pain in the ass, isn't yeah. it? Anyway, sometimes, I mean, now in the HD world, you can just download stuff from the, from the internet and manipulate it like that, and that's fine. But yeah, it's, it's just um, watching, watching crap and, and thinking, oh, yeah, if I just changed a couple of little bits... That would be funny. What was it? What was it like to work with Radiohead? Oh man, you, you did jigsaw. How long did you last before asking? Uh, about forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I started to dip into a little bit when I was like, "So we did Radiohead." I'm like, "I should ask now." Yeah, that's funny. Isn't that? That's a coincidence that you. Uh, I I never made the connection with you and and Radiohead. Yes. 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 That that was 2004. We made that. I think that was really oh, funny. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think it was even someone that Nigel Godrich was working with, uh, a band called Travis, who sent me that rodeo head. Travis sent you that? Yeah, wow. yeah. I fucking love Travis. That's crazy. Um, oh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, Travis are really the reason that I got to know Nigel and then Radiohead, because years ago, me and Joe were having our makeup done for some photo shoot by the lead singer of Travis's girlfriend. Uh, Nora and um, I got chatting to her while while we were sitting in the makeup chair and she said oh my boyfriend's in a band they're called Travis I was like oh I've not heard of them they were just starting out and um, so anyway I said well you should come we're having a a, a rap party you should come along to the party and so she came and she brought um, Fran and Dougie from the band Travis and they were really nice um, Glasgow guys we got on very well and then we went to see them play and met Nigel, who was producing their record, their second record, The Man Who. Um, and I knew who Nigel Godrich was, um, obviously being a big Radiohead fan. So I was very in awe of him. And also he just produced the Pavement album, Terror Twilight. Terror Twilight, great one. Which I really love, you know. And, and I think that 
pavement purists sometimes turn their nose up because they, they hated it. Yeah, and they, 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 they think that he took all the rough edges off them. And yeah, they don't even really play songs from that when they were doing the reunion tours. I mean, those songs are brilliant, though. Yeah, they're great. Um, I don't understand it because, you know, it sounds... It, 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 often this happens, I think, with a lot of the people that Nigel produces is that they go on after they've stopped working with him and it sounds like they're still trying to recreate the sound that he did for them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Beck's new album sounds as if he is... And he produced it himself, I think, Beck, right? Yeah. Um, Morning Phase. But it sounds exactly like a Sea Change. To like almost as if he's he's trying to recreate all the little burbles and yeah. all, all Nigel's little echoplex things that he does. Anyway, I digress. So got to know Nigel and then, but Nigel and that was around the time of Kid A. So Nigel was very protective of Radiohead. They were in that post uh, OK Computer world of um, of super secrecy and not really enjoying their sudden exposure and and, and uh, you know going to the next level. I think they all found it quite difficult. And I saw that film, Meeting People is Easy, about them, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it was very exciting, I remember, at the time. Because it seemed as if Tom York was right on the point of maybe losing it, you know, in 97. And you thought, oh, no, I hope he keeps it together. Because it really, especially in that film, it was, it was constructed in such a way that you thought, Shh, this is an accident waiting to happen, <laughs> this guy, you know. But actually, all they were doing was, was pulling back a little bit and being a bit more secretive, doing... Kid A and stuff, but yeah, Nigel, you know, Ray, uh, Travis were Nigel's kind of pop project, and and Radiohead were his sort of special indie art project kind of thing, and he kept them very separate. Um, so I didn't meet any of the Radiohead people for a long time, but then we came to a show in in L.A. In fact, um, and they were playing at the uh, at the Greek. I was probably at that show. Yeah, and that was. That was, I think, maybe the first time I'd seen them, and it was amazing. So that was a, that was a Kid A tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that blew my mind, and I remember seeing... We were staying at the Chateau Marmont, and I remember seeing a few of them milling around in the lobby, and the only one... I was, I was... You know, I could have gone up and spoken to any of them, really, because they sort of knew who I was through Nigel, but the only one who I could deal with talking to was Phil, because he seemed smiley. <laughs> <laughs> Phil rest, Selway. Phil Selway, yeah. And so I chatted to him about... I knew that he worked for the Samaritans, um, who were this kind of charity in the UK that uh, do a lot of good work for people who are depressed and stuff like that. And, and like Phil, I think, for a long time, actually manned the phones for the Samaritans. Oh, wow. And so, you know, sometimes it's, it's one of these services where if you're very depressed and maybe you're having suicidal thoughts, you can call this line and you can talk to someone who will just speak to you like a normal person and, and uh, you know, try and talk you down from the edge, as it were. Um, and Phil actually did this, you know, for a while. And um, so I was talking to him about that. I was very interested in that. But uh, he was the only one I could actually deal with talking to. The rest of them just seemed too much like scary gods. You know? <laughs> uh, and then eventually um, became more pally with Ed, a mm-hmm. uh, tall guitarist. Getting closer to Tom. Yeah, well, Tom... Tom Getting Tom, closer in. Yeah, Tom, I would... I think I still am a little bit too in awe of Tom. Also, I think he's a very different person. Like, he's not... You know, he's not silly in the same way that I am. Right. And uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I always I always feel like he... he I don't want to irritate him. Some, somewhere on a hard drive, when I used to work for Wired, they did a piece where um, Tom interviewed David Byrne. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. And I was there when he did that. I have the full yeah. unedited audio, and they only used a clip, you know, like they used smaller clips for the, for the website. But I actually have, somewhere I have the full unedited audio. And, t- and, and there are parts of it where Tom just, because, you know, he obviously worshiped talking heads. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there are parts where he just sounds giddy. And yeah, uh, wow. just talking to David Byrne. And so it's really, it was a different, I'd never really heard him that way before. I don't know, obviously I don't know him at all, but I, but I, it just, I was like, oh yeah, okay, he has fun. He does like things. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, he, he's a big fan, you know, and he's, he loves Elvis Costello. He's obsessed by, and, um, and yeah, lo- they all loved that. T- uh, well, especially Remain in Light was the big album, I think for, for, for Radiohead. And, um, yeah, he loves all that stuff. And we were, th- I was at their studio in Oxford when David Byrne came over. And so that was the, the I mean, I'd never, so I, I sort of spoken to them a couple of times, met them a little bit, good friends with Nigel. He's a lovely guy, but never really felt as if I could sort of properly go up and say hello to the rest of them. But then um, we went and, and helped out, when I say we, me and Garth Jennings, a, a director in the UK, done a lot of great music videos and uh, a couple of features and stuff. And so we went and helped them out with this webcast they did after In Rainbows when mm-hmm. that came out. They did a couple. They did one, I think, the week the album came out, and then one just before Christmas later that year, 2007. And so we went to just um, help them fill, film a few more little bits and pieces because they filmed lots of stuff of them performing because Nigel's a big tech head. He gets all these cameras and stuff off eBay, all these old-school video cameras, and he can wire them all, and he can, like, he's doing the circuits. And, I mean, he's really an amazing guy. And so he hooked up this whole little CCTV system with all these old-school video cameras in their studio outside Oxford and filmed all these performances of them playing the tracks on In Rainbows. And then me and Garth uh, just filmed them in some slightly different ways, p- performing some of the other tracks. So we went up to the top of a hill nearby and filmed them playing Faust Arp, Tom and Johnny, and then we did a... And then I, I, I brought along these helmets that I'd fitted with... Uh, I'd put poles on them and put little uh, security cameras at the end and um, so that they would film their faces. It was kind of like GoPro before GoPro, I suppose. And then um, I'd done a few bits with, this, with these helmets myself and it produces a funny effect where your head remains motionless yes, and every, everything around you crew. swims around, you know. So I knew it was a funny effect, and I thought, oh, this would look good if uh, Radiohead were wearing them. <laughs> but it was, we were nervous that, you know, it was like, who's going to ask them kind of thing? Because they look stupid. Um, <laughs> and they look goofy, and you still think, well, you know, they're kind of a cool band. They ha- at that point, they hadn't been in any of their videos. Like, they, they just gradually stopped being in their videos yeah. after OK Computer. Um, and uh, or even after the Benz, I mean, were they in there? Oh, Tom was in some of the OK Computer videos. One, right? Yeah, but the but the whole band I think hadn't been in in a video for a long time. So we were nervous about suggesting doing these silly ideas, you know. Um, but they but they were cool about it and very open minded and and relaxed and um, and they all immediately got the idea of what the effect would be like and, and played up to it. Like each one of them so gratifyingly played up to oh, uh, how it would look best, like swinging their heads around. And Tom, who does his wobbly head dance anyway, but that just looked amazing with the, with the helmet camera on. So we did two takes of them miming to the track. Well, they were playing it in the thing, but they were playing along to the, to the track. And, uh, and that was perfect. And then me and Garth just sat there the rest of that night Editing it, we kept on cutting back to Phil. I remember because Phil 
has got this incredibly intense expression. This was Jigsaw Falling Into Place was the track they were playing. And uh, every time we wanted to, uh, to sort of get the energy out, we'd cut back to Phil because he, he just looks as if he's about to explode. But that was amazing fun, you know. And it was, I think that was my favourite track on the record as well, or one of them. So uh, I just thought, this is, it doesn't get better than this. And then the Seven parody. Yes, that was Garth's idea. Um, and he said, oh, we should, uh, we should do the bit where, um, you know, Morgan Freeman finds... Uh, the head in the box in seven and get stick Tom's head in there. Um, <laughs> but it's really, it's brilliant the way that it's done. Cause it's like, cause the box is closed. And, you're... <laughs> and then he opens up a big end. And then it's, it's Tom's fucking head yeah. just in the box, just singing, just like, just the way Tom is. And then, you know, Morgan Freeman has a moment where he just, He's looking over at Brad Pitt and he's freaking. He's and then he just closed the box and it just. What's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah, it was great, and that was that. That was one of the moments where I thought, oh, he's not going to go for this because Garth was pitching that one to Tom and saying, well, well, look, we'll stick your head in this box and we'll put like bits of crap around it and you know, packing peanuts or whatever, and uh, it'll look really good. And Tom was like, mm, I don't know about this. And he said, have you got any makeup and stuff? And we're like, no, not really. <laughs> um, and Tom was like, God, you know. Because cause he's really, they're all very easygoing and unprecious. But still, like any normal person, there are moments where they sort of remember, oh, millions of people might see this kind of thing. Or, right. And they probably will. So it would be nice not to look like complete twats. <laughs> uh, but uh, I wonder what that thing is, though, where they... You know where he's, where bands all of a sudden get famous. The sort of Pearl, the Pearl Jam thing too is like, or the Nirvana. There's like they get super famous and they're like, I don't want this. And they're like, what were you doing the whole time? You were like, is it just? Do they think like, no, we'll just play in rock clubs forever and yeah. then like, it, does the does it? Do you think the fame part gets in the way, or do you think they feel guilty because they're like, we shouldn't be this popular, or if we are this popular, we're not cool anymore or I, I the, think the business part sucks all, or what all is of it? the above absolutely all those things i think are just the reality of them is completely different to what you imagine you know you just think of all the fun bits don't you when you're starting out whatever you're doing and um and then if you have any degree of success i think the reality of that and and all the the fact that it makes you feel a bit of a fraud and a bit of a phony and and the fact that it's very easy to believe negative criticism and very hard to believe compliments, you know, all those things just make life a little bit less fun. And you think, oh, why, why is life less fun? I mean, I'm saying all this as if it's happened to me. It's not happened to me in any... <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think you'd be okay with it? Um, I mean, you get little... Every now and again, you get little tastes when you skirt the cusp of uh, something that's about to cross over or whatever. And, and I think probably not. No, I quite... I, I, you know, I really... Enjoy life in the margins. Everyone's nice to you. Uh, <laughs> the people, the people that come to your shows are really into it, and they're not just. You, you know, I really feel like it's pretty hardcore. If you're if you're on TV and you get any success, and you get a whole group of people who are sort of, oh yeah, you're that guy. You did that thing. Yeah, I'll come to your show, and they're like, oh, this is a bit shit and weird. <laughs> and I think then you get to the position where. Um, yeah, you pull back a little bit, the same way that people like Stuart Lee did and, and uh, a lot of, well, a few British comedians who, who just thought, oh, I, I don't want to have any of that, really. I want to, 
I want to have my nice, dedicated audience and who know what they're going to get, and I don't want to have to deal with a whole bunch of yobs who don't know what the deal is kind of thing. <laughs> it's yobs. It's, I like the word yobs. <laughs> I like the word yobs. It's, nice. it's almost like shortening yahoos. Like all these yeah. yahoos, all these yobs. Yeah, I think yahoos is the same, right? It's not like, it's not, uh, you're not being, uh, what, what are yahoos? Yahoos is sort of beard up random guys, right? Yeah, I think it's the sort of like the outer city people. No, I just, yeah, I think it's, I think it's sort of, uh, I, I think colloquially it became these kind of random people who don't, you know, these sort of one dimensional like, hey, what's going on? You know, like, <laughs> Yahoo! <laughs> you know, like you don't really know what it is that they. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean that they have to be southern. I just mean no, that, like sure. They're sort of. They could uh, be Australian, like Yahoo Serious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I like his. I like his British contemporary Yob Serious much better. <laughs> I thought that was going to be funnier. I, I really did. I no, I really. As it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, "This is too, this is too labored." <laughs> you didn't. No, I just, did I not give you enough? No, but I didn't deserve enough. <laughs> Mom, deserve Dad, enough. come on, hey, please. <laughs> You're both great. I Yums. liked it. I couldn't do that. Look at this. <laughs> You're so brave. You're so brave to get up there and make that yob joke. I don't know how you do it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> You're looking very handsome. Have you been running? <laughs> but what's the show? funny so you've been running (laughs) (laughs) people who want to say something yeah yeah. like oh i don't want to talk about obviously can't say i didn't really enjoy the. i'll just say something positive (laughs) this venue's pretty big yeah where'd you get that shirt oh that's good good shirt (laughs) i i i quite liked performing in in england though i really want to go back and do more i just it would it'd be nice if i had something there that would because just like you, it is a tremendous expense to go over yeah. and to, to put up put on a show. That'd be nice if I had more stuff going on there, just enough to kind of help justify. But like, you could on the back of this podcast, couldn't you? I mean, the podcast thing is just amazing. It's changed the way I uh, think of everything that I do, really, because there's such a dedicated core of people now that have got to well, the, the, the people that do know my stuff and, and me and Joe are so um, passionate about it because of the podcast and the radio show that we used to do, I think much more than our TV show. You know, there's still a few oldies that come up to me every now and again and say, oh, yeah, the Adam and Joe show, I used to like that. But, um, but the people that really stay in touch and I think that mainly come to my shows are the people that connected because of the podcast, you know. Like at immigration yesterday, uh, I got into a conversation with one of the guys. I was stood at, uh, uh, just about to go through immigration, and I was thinking, God, why do they get the most miserable, angry-looking people <laughs> to work at immigration? It's so depressing. But um, as I was thinking that, this guy uh, said, so what do you do? What are you in the country for? And I said, oh, I'm a... I'm a uh, and I thought, oh, this question, you know, yeah. what am I going to do? How am I going to explain? I'm a comedian. The- it's always weird to say you're a comedian. Yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm a comedian. And so I said, oh, I, you know, I write sort of comedy stuff and... And you, you kind of, you give like the most, you give the most sort of popular version of yourself, the most successful version of yourself that you can. Oh, I write uh, comedy for the BBC. <laughs> uh, you'll, you know the BBC. And he's like, oh, really? So he's impressed by that. And he very quickly said, uh, I, I, I love listening to podcasts with the comedians talking about the whole business of comedy. I was like, oh, do you? Yeah, I love that too. That's great. The, 
the sort of intimate connection you make, the way they, they get in your head is, a, is one of the things I love about podcasts. And he said, yeah, that's true. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I, I'm thinking about them all. He, who did he like? Greg Fitzsimmons? Greg oh, Fitzsimmons. Yeah. Uh, um, he was uh, into him. And I said, I'm going to be on The Nerdist this week. And he's like, oh, wow, that's a good show, too. I like those guys. And <laughs> I feel like this is some weird terrorist test. If someone's like, what is a podcast? Get him! You know, like... <laughs> I told... Remember that time I flew from Jamaica to D.C.? And, like, I had... I, get, I was, like, in... I was in Jamaica for eight hours. I had to fly to D.C. because we had a show. Yeah. And I got brought into smaller and smaller rooms because of the suspect nature of being in Jamaica for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then going to the nation's capital right away. How there? Eight hours? Yeah. And you're going to... Washington, D.C. now? It, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so fucking sus. And, and, like, I kept on getting brought into smaller and smaller rooms, and, uh, and like, you know, the guy kept asking me, what were you doing in Jamaica? I was like, it's my girlfriend's sister's wedding. It's my girlfriend's sister's wedding. And then, like, uh, you know, asked me what I did. I was like, and it, was, it started off, I was like, it's like, I'm, like, a, a comedy writer, but why are you going to D.C.? Uh, for a show. I see so you writing on a show that, and, you know, you have to keep on. Yeah. And then um, I, I was getting real confused. And then, like I said, uh, he's like, one more time, why are you going uh, to D.C.? Or why were you in Jamaica? And I said, for my sister's girlfriend's wedding. And I'm like, and the guy's like, oh, oh, no. Uh, so, interesting. But deviance. Then, yeah, yeah. And then I was, I was like, no, he's like, he's like, your story changed. I was like, no, no, no it's, I meant, sorry, I'm just. Oh, did he actually say your story changed? Your story changed. Oh, my God. He's like, so why? He's like, I was like, I'm in a podcast. We, we booked the show afterwards. And he's like, oh, podcast? What's it called? And I said, it's called The Nerdist. He's like, he's like, oh, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't. I didn't tell you that. Oh, oh, nurse! I love Chris Hardwick. <laughs> Talking Dead's my jam. Oh shit! Yeah, wow, yeah. <laughs> that was his jam. That was. His I don't jam. think you can jam to that show. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, and then I got to go. I, I, the, the, the being recognized by the podcast because the people say like. Oh, I love talking dead. I go, well, that's awesome, you know, but it's, it's on a net, television network and, you know, but, but I'm always so delighted when people, I was in rural Georgia because I was in, I was there for Walking Dead stuff and I went to a grocery store uh, and this guy sitting out front was like, hey, I love the podcast and it just sort of freaked me out. I'm like, I can't believe we do this thing that just feels like. Just here. You know, we're doing it on little DIY stuff. It's just us. We're just fucking around and hanging out. Mm -hmm. I can walk into a random grocery store in the middle of Georgia and some guy's like, hey, I love the podcast. Like, that's still, I understand how the internet works and it still freaks me out. Well, it's such a, I mean, it's such an enjoyable part of my life now to listen to podcasts. And, and it's so great. You know, I, I think, God, what was it like before? Maybe, I don't know what I was doing before, but maybe like conversing with other humans in, <laughs> in three dimensions. <laughs> Gross. But uh, it's something I really look forward to, you know. And, and uh, Mark Marin has said a few times on his podcast, you know, that he feels as if he has his longest and most meaningful conversations in his life uh, on that podcast, you know. Sure. It's, it's the only time, really, that you're sat and able to converse with other people at leisure for, for, for such a long time. Yeah. And conversely, uh, for people listening as well, it's probably the only time they hear other people talking at length about anything. It's well, really nice. Even, you know? like, we, we'll do episodes where it's just the three, you know, me, Chris, and Matt, and those, like, we, we look forward to them because it's this kind of, like, moment for us to force into just like hanging out as friends yeah. which is so rare because we're all so busy and it's just like because of the podcast which people enjoy but it's like a, it's a nice opportunity just to hang out well the truth of the matter is that it takes energy to focus mm -hmm. on a conversation 
and the podcast gives you a reason. I, I, this is going to sound bad. It gives you a reason to do that. <laughs> you should do that in yeah. life. Yeah. But a lot of times when you're hanging out with friends, you're in a group, and your mind is sort of on the rest of your day. And it's like, oh, i got to yeah. get this done. i got to get this email. But when we do the podcast, like phones go off. We sit down. We know we have to talk for a certain amount yeah. of time. And it really does force you – you know, with good result to talk and get to know people yeah. and explore rather than just like, oh, yeah, um, I'm sorry, I gotta, yeah. you know, I yeah, yeah, yeah. There's never and... a time in a podcast where it's like, wait, what were you, what were you saying? <laughs> this, you know, because you're there, you're in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I really like it. And, and, uh, I've got little routines and things like during the week, um, I uh, generally like I, I love drinking alcohol. I don't know if you've heard of alcohol. What big is that? fan. I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's brilliant. He was too big a fan. Oh yeah, <laughs> alcohol took out a restraining order. <laughs> you got off the alcohol bus. I didn't That's... get sober. It's uh, it was it wasn't on me. No, I can't come within fifty feet. <laughs> That's a shame. Uh, you're you're missing out. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. I and know. It... I tried to tell it. But wouldn't you know? I was shaking it and like, why won't you love me? Yeah, it, kind of, it's, it gets off. Because like I'm still really close with alcohol, right? And like it's, it's always. Does like, it ask oh, about me? Great. Yeah. Have you yeah, tried? Just... Uh, have you tried smoking cigarettes? They're brilliant as well. <laughs> uh, I, I used to do that, but I had to stop. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, tr- me and my wife, try and restrict our alcohol intake during the week, just as like a little fun competition, um, to stop ourselves going totally off the rails. But it's my favorite kind of drinking game. Yeah, <laughs> but I I um, I allow myself to cheat when certain podcasts come out. Like for a while, I had uh, I got into Todd Barry's podcast, and I really would enjoy. Like if I saw it, it would come out on a on a Wednesday for. He's been a bit slack recently because he's been promoting his crowd work tour, so uh, they haven't been very regular. But for a while, they were coming out every Wednesday or Thursday, and it would be like, oh, good. I'm just and I would lie to my wife. <laughs> that I was going to do some work. I was like, oh, I've got to go back in the office and finish something off. So I'll, you go to bed. I'll see you later. All right. And this is actually true. I'm admitting this for the first time. Um, and so I would go, having lied to my wife, God, I'm pathetic, uh, into my office and I would, I would uh, listen to Todd's um, podcast, the Toddcast. I don't know why he doesn't call it the Toddcast, but there you go. I told Todd Glass the same thing. Why didn't you call it the Toddcast? Yeah. Yeah. Todd, the Todd Glass. Todd Glass is great. Right, the Todd Glass, brilliant. Uh, anyway, and, you know, crack open a couple of tinnies, sit there in my nutty room listening to uh, Todd crapping on to whoever he was talking to. <laughs> and he's very, like, a, he's got such a soothing voice and it's really relaxing and, ah, oh, it's great. That's uh, very nice. Yeah, it's a lovely routine and I really look forward to it. I got quite annoyed when he became irregular with his podcasts. I got to go just drink in my office. I mean, <laughs> work on paperclips. Paperclips. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, you know, now she knows. So there's the end of that routine. Yeah. <laughs> Just find a different podcast. Yeah. yeah exactly. No, it's got to be Todd. It's got to be Todd. It's got to be Todd. Whereas Todd. Nerdist, I tend to consume uh, while I'm traveling. Like, there are certain podcasts for certain things. I find that uh, WTF is good for manual labor. Uh, <laughs> uh, nerdist is good. Just soak in Mark's anger and just use it for doing things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or when he is when he is being um, beyond the pale himself as a person. Yeah, you can just hammer in the nails a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great. I love podcasts. They're fantastic. Yeah, they're fun to do. They are. 
When are you? Uh, when is your show? Is your show tonight? Um, well, so I'm doing a little spot at UCB tonight, doing uh, a wonderful Nerd Melt on Wednesday. Uh, and then um, my full show is on the Sunday. Um, yeah, this is coming Sunday at the Mac Senate Studios, I think. Nice. Right. Wait, That's... Sunday? Yeah. Oh, shit. Is I thought right? it was Monday. No, no, no. Sunday, I think. Well, I can't make that. Oh, Why? What you... What's so important? I'm out of town. Oh. Why is that unnecessary? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a bummer. Seeing I, your sister's girlfriend. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, from DC. Yeah. You got to go to Columbia for eight hours <laughs> and then straight to DC. Exactly. My sister's sister's getting married. <laughs> hey, change your star. I'm marrying my sister. What? Uh, what? Uh, hey. I'm getting <laughs> um, so uh, you're in town for another. Yeah, for, so for a week. I'll be leaving uh, this time next week. Uh, considering maybe applying for a upgrade to premium economy on the way back. <laughs> Treat yourself. How much would that be, do you reckon? Um, I don't know. Seven hundred. Oh, mate, you're joking, aren't you? That's a, that's a pretty like good guess. Like twice the uh, yeah. economy ticket price. Yeah. I, I I upgrade to mid level all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You should try. You, you should. Yeah, you try. It's it'll be worth it. How do you have you ever been upgraded like without paying? Like, uh, are you, do you get lots of frequent flyer miles? I have a ton of frequent flyer miles. Um, so shouldn't you be being upgraded? He doesn't need to. If he got right. upgraded, he'd be the pilot of the plane. Right. <laughs> I just... I... Can't get more first class. Are you getting flown around first class, you twat? I mean, yeah. it's pretty rad. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, you know, he needs the room. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, You're all very thing. tall. I'm the, I'm, I'm the smallest person in this room apart from the Do dog. you know why? <laughs> I, I, I started... Um, I, I started paying for that long before I could afford it for right. two reasons. Number one, um, I used to have really, really, really bad, like my back would go out to the extent that I couldn't walk for a couple of days. And the thing that helped cure that was uh, exercise and strengthening the core, as they say. I was very, I was very weak and I was, uh, I was in bad shape. And yeah. then I got into good shape. And so that, that really helped. But I was traveling so much that I was... It was taking me several days to recover every time I was coming home. Right. And, and so I was, in addition to that, I didn't like flying just as a concept. Yeah, because it's so, not logical, is it? It is. So it, 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 it's against God's will. It I is. mean, it's just the way it is. Um, I mean, he's just waiting up there to start <laughs> flicking them down yeah, uh, with his giant hand that comes out of a cloud because that's how that works. He lives in the clouds. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I said, I'm going to start paying for this thing that I shouldn't be paying for yet because A, it will make me look forward to traveling. It'll yeah. help me get over flying. And it will inspire me to work harder so that it's not so much of an expense. So it's it was not going to cripple you financially. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was probably a very fiscally irresponsible thing to do. But I turned it into this sort of game of like, I'm going to make this a thing that kind of motivates me to work harder so that it, this is not... So the traveling becomes uh, enjoyable. Yeah. And so yeah, that's yeah. that's what I... The what dream, I obviously, is to have other people fly you first class. Yes. Yes. And uh, that's the... I would say that that is the thing I envy Joe Cornish, my Joe... Um, my Joe... Um, <laughs> most for is the um, first class travel on someone else's tab. Because, wow, that is like as good as it But gets. then you don't get to be fringe if you do that. You know that. Well, Exactly. 
then you're no longer on the margins. You don't get to, you don't, you, you, you don't. Well, the a- a- airline travel is the only time I don't want to be in the margins. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to be well inside. I want to yeah. be the protective. out of the margins. I want to be out of the aisle. I want to be up there, fully reclined, getting a massage. So yeah. it's just, so as we're sort of wrapping this out, we yeah. did it. This, did, this flew by. We did an hour and 23 minutes. Um, what, uh, what is it that ultimately you, you know, what is it that you want? Like, do you, do you want to direct films? Do you want to continue to do live stuff? Do you want to, is there just sort of intangible thing? Like, I just want more of something. Like, what is it that you want? What do, what do you want to do ultimately? I would say mainly I want to be upgraded to first class. <laughs> I mean, that really is, that, honestly, uh, 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 because I genuinely mean that. Like, of all the, because th- I know a few people who, um, sort of have uh, high high profile and high pressure, successful positions or whatever, and I don't envy any aspect of what they do whatsoever, um, other than possibly the facility they have for getting projects off the ground. I envy that a little bit sometimes, um, and I also envy the luxury travel um, because wow, you know, I'd love to see more of the world, and I'd love to be able to take my family around the world and stuff like that a bit more. I have three children, and it's always really fun when we go on holiday, but we always go to the same place. <laughs> so it would be, nice, <laughs> be nice to go to some more adventurous places. But really, that's it. I mean, I feel very lucky. I've got everything that I could want uh, or that I reasonably need, and, um, you know, I just do my own stuff, and I've got a, a very nice little audience that come along to things I do most of the time. And, I, you know, I feel incredibly lucky, I think. It would be nice to... You know, I love films, and Joe and I always tried to sort of do film stuff together, but it never really... We, we, we never really got it together to have a, that good writing dynamic together, you know. Um, are you afraid, sort of... This sort of goes back to the Radiohead thing. Are you yeah. afraid that... When you say, like, I like being in the margins, are you afraid that the mainstream part gets in the way? Do you, are, do you, are you superstitious or do you feel like I oh, just it sort of clouds your creative judgment? No, no, not at all. Because, I mean, um, you know, I love lots of mainstream. It's not like I'm a sort of snob or anything. It's not like I'm saying, oh, mainstream sellout shit. You know, I don't think that at all about anyone. But um, I don't think I've got the chops for it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I look at the stuff that people do that crosses over to a massive audience. And I think, shit, I, I don't feel as if I've got that in my bones. Don't you feel like they feel like that too, though? I feel like everyone feels oh, that. Oh, really? I think everyone feels that because it's, I think it's just too mind-bendy for people to think that, oh, that's only something that happens to other people. I can't. I don't know what that... I, don't, I feel like most people, most people probably think that way. And then when it happens, they're sort of freaked out by, what. And I think that's sort of, you know, just in a, rec- in a recursive way plays back into people withdrawing or saying, like, I don't deserve this or this is too strange or it's too... Because I, I think in their heads they kind of have this idea of, like, no, I deserve about this and any more than that is outside my comfort zone. And, and I, but I, I do in general believe that those are self-imposed, that you just sort of, like, you just sort of have your own idea about, like, nope, this is about what I deserve. Why? I don't know. It just is. And anything beyond that, you're like, too much, too little, nope, just get me in this little... Yeah, time. maybe it's that. And also, also, this is about as much as, you know, th- this is pretty nice. Like, if, if my life carried on the way it is now for a while, then I'd be quite happy. Um, it, uh, yeah, you know, I don't want for that much, really. Uh, Creatively, what more do you want to do? Oh, yeah, well, it would be nice to do things at a longer length, like, um, uh, you know, do something a bit more narrative, perhaps, and something that would... Just whether it was a film or a TV show, you know, something that had 
a bit more substance to it. Like a lot of my stuff is, they're very short, all the bits that I do. And they're really good fun. I love doing them. But um, it would be nice to do, yeah, something uh, a little bit more robust. It's going to happen. And here's the thing. You're, you're, you're hearing it. Do you remember that you will come back to this podcast when it happens? But at a certain point, you'll make a thing. And to you, it'll be like, oh, this is nothing. This is a dumb little thing. I'm just gonna... And then, and then you're going to be like, what? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get about? drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd, it's Adam Buxton. Please release the podcast. <laughs> I need to go to my office and drink. I can't do it unless you. I'm going to get absolutely. Here's my plan from now on. I'm going to get absolutely drunk. Everything's going to go wrong. I'm going to start treating my family badly. Then I'm going to go back on the Nerdist. And uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 it'll be a horrible and uh, very uh, excruciating exchange that I have. And then I'll start crying. And then uh, all my problems will come out in public, uh, and then I'll take over from Mark Maron. Uh, <laughs> you have a, a nice podcast. little, or 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 he's like, you just made five million pounds. Well, I just have to hire Todd Barry just so he does these podcasts. Yeah. So they keep me. He's <laughs> like your own personal podcast, right? You're fine. Well, it's really good to see you, and it's been nice to, you know, we've sort of become pals via email and on, on, on social media, so it's nice to see you in person. Yes, yeah, Welcome here. to our land. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you know, I think I must be probably the least well-known person that you've ever had on The Nerdist. So oh, come on. I'm on I here. Do, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do oh, appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, no, no, I'm, glossing, I'm trying to gloss over that a little bit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Uh, all right. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Enjoy your burrito. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off, go to Squarespace.com. Use the offer code NERDIST to show your support to the Nerdist Podcast. We thank them for their support. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's going to win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's going to be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year. Unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.